Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith podcast with Michael Lane. If you're enjoying our content and would like to help us keep making more episodes on this podcast, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And while you're on the website, make sure to check out some of the other things we got going on, like our specialty programs. We've got one in marine biology, which is an entire marine biology course down in the Florida Keys. And it's great for students ages 14 and up. We also have our biblical archaeology tour in Israel with archaeologists Dr. Stephen Notley. That's coming up very, very soon. So make sure to check those out. And we also have our bookings calendar open. So if you're looking for a speaker to come speak at your event, church, group, school, whatever it may be, make sure to get in your request in right away. And finally, if you have enjoyed a particular series on this podcast, or you want to go back and look at a particular episode, our courses page has every single series we've ever done on the podcast nicely organized in its own course page. And sometimes there's a few extra little downloads and things you can use if you want to go back and study a particular series or share it with a friend or a family. All these links are going to be down in the description if you want to refer back to them after you're done listening to today's episode. And with that, thanks for being here and I'll let Michael take it away. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. Michael Lane, your host here. As we're going through the armor of God. Now, we just had the introduction on the armor of God. Now we're going to get into the actual pieces of these. And this is really interesting, but um, how this starts off. But as we're going to do with each one of these pieces of armor as we go through it, I want to go through and read the passage again. Now, this is one paragraph. And that's very important to realize. This is one paragraph, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 is one paragraph in the most ancient manuscripts. Thus, every verse in this, every sentence in this pertains to the beginning of it. So reading out of the English Standard Version, let's take a look at what it says. And it reads, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, 
That is the passage. And we've seen, as we've already talked about in the introduction, there's, there's a lot of pieces to this. But the first part that we're going to be seeing here is the belt of truth. That's the actual first part of the armory that God has given us. Now, it goes back, that's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. In the very first part, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, that is how this begins. And in Greek, this is so interesting because remember, New Testament was written in Greek. And when you have Greek, um, the writing in Greek, the order of it becomes very, very important. This is the number one thing. Out of all the pieces of armor, we often don't think of this that way, but we might look at the helmet of salvation being the most important or the sword of the spirit being the most important. Those are way down at the end of the list. The first thing that comes up is the belt of truth. Now, why is it like that? Why is it when Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit is writing this, has the belt of truth as being the number one, the first item, the one of the most important emphasis? Why did he do that? That's because Romans, now you're probably wondering, why am I dressed in, in this like 19, or 1880s bedroom outfit here? Um, isn't because I'm getting ready to go to bed, and, and, and though I am pretty old, but this was something like what the Romans wore. This is a tunic. Romans fought and wore these tunics. This type of tunic, you can see, it has sleeves, comes down to about the elbows. Um, it goes to about the knees, a little bit below. But this is, and it's very loose fitting, as you can see. It's like, be like a sail on a ship here. This thing is big. And I don't know, does it make me look fat? No to answer that question, but let's just move on. They wore these tunics like this, and there was a reason for this. For one, it's very loose, and you're going into battle you don't want to be caught up in stuff um, very, uh, very tightly um, hindered by something. So you, they fought in these very, very loose outfits. You can see this is very, very loose outfit, and it works really well for this. Now, to make sure, though, that it didn't interfere in their fighting, they would cinch it up. Could you imagine just going into battle right now if I just had a sword and went into a, a battle and the battle's taking place out in, in the wilderness, maybe in trees and stuff like this, as you can see in the background. Um, back out there, I have raspberry, uh, wild raspberries growing and there's wild blackberries growing and other thorny type plants. Can you imagine going out there and trying to, to fight in this? It would get caught on all that stuff. And if it gets, you know, you're caught and like, oh, oh, don't fight yet, time out time. Um, I got to get this loose so I can fight and kill you. That doesn't, that's not how it works. So what they had to do is they would cinch it up. They would take the belt of truth and they would wear this belt around their waist and they would put this on and <laughs> yeah, sometimes they had a help in doing this, <laughs> but you'd put the belt on and you can see the belt has these brass fittings and stuff on it. Now, some belts actually had emblems for like the legion that they would be in. This one is not really showing that, but it's a belt that they would wear around. It's made of leather and as you can see, it's, it's very heavy leather, it's thick leather, and plus it's got usually some type of ornament on it. Now, in doing this, what they did then, after putting the belt on, they would take this um, their, their tunic, and they would tuck it in tight and just picking up pieces, anything that was out. As you can see, I've got my now tucked in here, and now I'm going to raise my arm up a little bit, raise my arm up. Now, 
the thing is, it's not sailing out like a, you know, putting out like a sail where it's going to get caught on brambles and, and uh, brambles and things like this and thorns out there, um, things sticking up out of the ground. I can now fight and swing my sword, move my shield around, and I'm not being hindered by anything. And a lot of times, too, they were often um, usually red because um, if, if you're bleeding, it's not so bad then with your bleeding because it blends in with the red. Even the British Army and uh, did that for years, for centuries they did this. So the belt was actually used to cinch up. If you get this now, this is so important. It cinches up stuff that could, shall we say, distract, um, distract the soldier and, or hinder the soldier in any way. That's what the whole point of this thing was. Besides identification of what legion, it actually um, is going to be something that you attach things to. But this is what the belt was. And as I said, this is so interesting that that Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is telling us this is the first thing. This is the most important one. Now, the reason that this is part of the armor of God, why is this a belt? We often don't think of this, but why is a belt the armor of God? Is because it's called truth. Now, isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit told Paul that each piece, uh, as he's describing each piece of the armor, he didn't call the helmet truth. He didn't call the, the breastplate truth or the shield truth. He called the belt truth. Now, that's a question that's really um, important to answer. Why is it called truth? Why is this belt wrapped around us, the first item, called truth? And we need to know this. This is so important for the whole lesson here. You see, the Greek word that Paul uses here for truth is aletheia, which means the content of the truth. That's what that word actually is meaning. It means the content of the truth. And so he's wrap, we're wrapping ourselves in the content of the truth of God. You see, God is truth. Do you know that 75 times in the Bible, God is referred to as truth as a proper name? That's so important. God is truth, a proper name. I mean, we often think of Elohim or Adonai, El Shaddai, but 75 times he's called truth as a proper name. And there's a reason for that. You see, God is holy. It's a concept that many times Christians today have sort of lost sight of, the holiness of God. We sort of focus on, well, God is love. God loves everybody. Oh, God is love. Well, that's true, but that's not the best description. Even most theologians who can't agree on the color of an orange will often agree the best description, the best identifying aspect of God is that he is holy. Being holy, holy is like an umbrella, and there's so many things that fit under that. Perfection, um, truth, of course, fits under that. Um, love fits under this. Just under this. There's, there's so many different things. It's like the word biology. Biology has so many different things underneath it, but it all refer to like biology. You can major in biology in school, and but you can specialize in, say, botany or zoology, microbiology, physiology, anatomy, uh, ecology. There's, there's so many different things under it. Well, we just call it biology. God is holy. God is holy, meaning all these other things, sort of like how the term biology is, fits underneath this. He, it, love fits underneath this. Being just, being honorable, being truthful, all these things are underneath this. God is holy. It's the most important aspect of God, and we definitely are not. So when we say that God is holy, we're actually saying that he is also perfect. He is absolutely perfect. Thus, God is incapable of making an error or telling a lie. God cannot lie. 
Many years ago, I was teaching in a school. This was back in the 80s. I was teaching in a school, and across the hall from me was an English teacher. She was doing a, a project um, with her class. They were holding a debate. Now, I had no idea what was going on. I'm in my biology lab with my students, but then there was a knock at my door. And, um, I said, come in, and it was the biology, or I'm sorry, it was the English teacher from across the hall. And she stepped in. She says, Mr. Ling, could you help us over in my room for just a moment? We, we have a problem going on, and I need your help. Well, I had no idea what she was talking about. Is it a disciplinary or what? I did not know. Um, she was a petite little gal, and I thought, yeah, I'll come over. So I told my students, just keep working here. I'll be right back. I walked across the hall. I walked into the room. The students in her classroom are divided into two groups, chairs and everything. There's an open forum in the middle of her classroom. And I'm a little startled. What's going on? She says, we're having a debate and a question has come up and we can't figure out what the answer is. And one side of the room says this, that God uh, can do everything. There's nothing God can't do. Yet the other side is saying God is limited and there's certain things God can't do. And even as she explained this, some students start going back and forth, yelling at each other. God can do nothing is impossible with God. No, there's certain things God can't do that he's limited in his power. And it started going back and forth. She says, you see the problem? So can you help us? Because I know you're a Christian and you teach Bible and, and things like this at times. So could you please help us with this? I said, okay, just everybody settle down. I said, I thought you were going to ask me over here for a hard question. Um, this is really simple. And she says, you know, what's the answer? Here's the answer, folks, in the whole class. I just paused for effect, very dramatic, you know. And as they're sitting there, I said, here's the answer. There are certain things God can't do. <gasps> now, the side that was saying God can do everything, nothing is impossible to God, they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, blasphemy and everything. And the other side is, yay, 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 we win. Like, I said, no, hold on, let me explain. God is holy. You guys both agree? Yeah. That means he is perfection. That means he can't lie. You see this? There are certain things God can't do. God cannot lie. God, it tells us in the Bible, God cannot tempt a person. There are certain limitations to God that go against his character. Nothing is impossible with God when it fits within his character of being perfect and holy. God can't sin. There you are. See, they see the difference like, oh, okay, now we get it. Well, God is holy, meaning he's perfection. He does not make mistakes. He is incapable of making an error. So when he says something, it is the absolute truth. Now, that's important. Today, though, we live in a different world. Today, we live in an age of existentialism. Now, where did this come from? Well, it can be traced back pretty much to a person named Friedrich Nietzsche. And he lived um, a while back um, before World War I and everything. He, he came up with this idea. And this is where we get the idea, too, that God is dead. Maybe you've heard that. Matter of fact, it made Time Magazine, I think, back in the 60s as a headline. God is dead. In other words, that man has killed God. What that actually means is there is no absolute truth. Nitschke was saying this. Darwin's theory uh, um, of evolution, natural selection, fits into this. Freud, Sigmund Freud, his ideas fit into this, as did Karl Marx and others, that there's no absolute truth. And today, this is really just run rampant across. It began in Europe, but it has run rampant all across the United States. People today say there is no absolute truth. Um, it's a philosophical point of view, but it's absolutely ridiculous. 
And I've heard so many people argue about this and politicians even get into this at times. There, they'll say there is no truth. Truth is relative. Whatever is your truth uh, is truth for you, but it might not be truth for this person. That is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. It really is. And I can prove it to you that there is an absolute truth. Now, for instance, say that um, you have an automobile and you want to put something in your automobile to make it run properly. So what you're going to do is you're going to put um, like uh, oil in the crankcase of your car. You have to check the oil, make sure it's in there. And if you're if you're following truth, oil works inside the car. And there you go. You have that. But maybe your truth says something different. Maybe your truth says, no, this Campbell's soup is, is oil from, in my truth. So I'm going to put Campbell's soup inside of my crankcase of my car. Now you go and you put, oh, pop the can on this and drop this inside your engine. Try going for a trip for 300 miles or something like that. You're going to run into a problem if your engine is just running on Campbell's soup because it's going to lock up and freeze. It's, this is not the same as this. There is a truth behind it. Or try the opposite effect. You want to eat this? Fine. There's a truth behind Campbell's soup. It's edible. But if you say, well, this is my soup, my truth, that's your truth, this soup. You say that's your truth. Well, this is my truth. This is oil to you. But to me, this is soup. And you pop the top on this and you drink this. Um, well, you're going to be in the hospital if you live through it because this is poisonous. There is an absolute truth. You can't just pick something and make it your truth. This is what Nitschke was is basically saying. That's what people today are saying all over this country, that truth is relative to whatever you want to make it. No, there is an absolute truth to this. You, these are not interchangeable. There is a truth behind it. And if it's something that simple with oil, there is also absolute truth dealing also with Scripture and with everything else. There is um, an absolute truth. And God is the source of absolute truth. So what exactly is God's truth as a weapon? Because we're talking about the armor of God. How is this a truth? Well, let me get into it. The Bible is truth. I actually had a conversation not too long ago speaking to a group and a person as I was talking about this, using this illustration of, of like a Pennzoil and a can of Campbell's soup saying that there is an absolute truth. They're not interchangeable. You can say whatever you want. There's still going to be an absolute truth to this. Well, a person came up afterwards to me, a high school student, and says, well, okay, I understand now that there must be absolute truth, but where do I find where the truth is? I just picked up my Bible and I said, here, this is the source of absolute truth. This is where you find it. Because God, I believe that this is the word of God. God can't make an error. So if God says something, and I believe this is the 66 love letters coming to us from God, if God put it in here, here's your source of truth. This is truth. It's not interchangeable. If God said it, it's true, because God is incapable of making a mistake. See, we've lost this concept of God. We've lost about the holiness of God. We focus too much today on God is love. God is my buddy, buddy. And we sing many of our songs, God is my buddy, buddy. Oh, when I go and see Jesus, I'm going to run up and give him a hug. Really? You think so? You think the moment Jesus just, uh, if he was to enter into the room where you're at right now, or you see him, if you're driving your car or something, see him standing on the side of the road, you think you're just going to wave, hi, buddy, as you go by or something? I don't think you will. I think in every single person, when we see Jesus in his glory, what we're going to do is we're going to fall flat on the ground because we're going to realize we are not holy. That is perfection, holiness, perfection. And this is 
what he told us. So we have the word of God. That is what the truth is. Now, how does this fit with the armor? Just as a soldier wearing his tunic, which can easily get tangled up and be a distraction, he cinches it up, surrounds it, if you will, with this belt of truth. This belt is so important because it represents God's truth. Before you go into battle, any morning you get up, before you go out um, out of your bedroom, before you do anything, wrap yourself in the word of God and hold that fast to you. Tighten up the things that can distract you, tuck it in to God's truth. That's what you wanna do. You gotta secure, you have to secure your thoughts and stuff into what God says is truth first before you go into battle, it's so important. Because without the basic knowledge of biblical teaching, you're gonna easily be swayed by Satan. So what that means is, if you catch this, the belt of truth means we need to study what God said. We need to know what's in here, what God told us. We need to know this stuff. Thus, we have to do a Bible study. So this is so important into that aspect of what it is. Also, the way that we fight with this, how many times do we see in Scripture Satan, because Satan wants to distort the truth. He's, he's the father of liars, the Bible says. He is a liar. And how many times he will come up, even to Christians, and he'll say, God did not say. I mean, didn't even do that in the garden with Adam and Eve the first time. He does this often. And many times today we have heretics and stuff going around saying, well, God didn't say this in the Bible. That's not what God is saying here. And they tried to distort it. And when this happens, we can easily fall into, if we're not wearing this belt of truth and wrap ourselves in the word of God, we can easily be swayed by false doctrines and by Satan's lies. That's why the belt of truth is so important. It's the number one thing. It becomes first on the list. It's the most important thing. And also, this belt does something else. It holds, like a dagger, it holds a sword. It holds things. You attach things to your body on this belt. You attach things by how it applies with the Word of God. If it doesn't fit with the Word of God, you discard this. It's going to be a lie. You get rid of it. You only surround yourself. And notice the belt goes all the way around. You surround yourself with the Word of God, meaning you've got to study the Word of God. We, not, we need to know what's in there. So the belt of truth is the foundation. You listening? It's the foundation of which everything is held together. Everything is attached to this. We wear this. It keeps us uh, totally surrounded. It keeps us from getting tangled up in things. That's what this belt of truth does. A soldier is committed to his truth, God's truth in all things. You're going to hear, you're going to be distracted by Satan's little uh, lies and stuff all around, by false doctrines and stuff. You need to know what's in here, and this is what you wrap yourself in. That's why Paul refers to this as the belt of truth. It's the most important part of your armor of God. So I Always, in the morning, when you get up, this is what you want to wrap yourself in. And if you come across something and you're not sure what it is, how does it compare? What some person, philosopher, pastor even, what they're saying, how does it compare to what you see in here? Is it the same as what God said? If not, it's a lie. And we're not supposed to, not supposed to lie. God can't lie. It's the source of truth. So that's how the belt of truth is part of the armor of God. Well, thanks for joining me on this, and as we'll continue into the next piece, we'll just keep going. And I'm so glad you're joining uh, and listening to this series. We'd love to hear from you. And please contact us if uh, you have comments or whatever, um, evidence for faith. We'd love to hear from you. So until we meet again, 
Take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.